Welcome back, and I hope everyone's having a good week. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, and we really dive into brain health. And before telling you about Kristen and the episode more, let's talk about engineered sleep for a second. Engineered Sleep, they are a mattress manufacturer based out of Greenville, South Carolina, and their main goal is to make finding the right mattress for you as easy as possible. And as y'all all know, good sleep is the number one thing you need to focus on for good health or better health right away. And it all starts with your mattress. And, and speaking from personal experience, I have bought my last three mattresses from engineeredsleep.com. The guys over there make it super easy for you. You can go visit their showroom in Greenville, South Carolina, or just go to their website, engineeredsleep.com. If you use promo code LIVE10, you'll get 10% off your order. So like I said, stop putting it on the back burner, start getting your sleep right, and it starts with reaching out to the guys at engineeredsleep.com. Use promo code LIVE10, 10% off your order. So moving on, Dr. Kristen Willemeyer. She is amazing. What we talk, what she is, what we talk about in this episode, we focus on brain health. She is a neuroscientist. She is a researcher. She has done a lot of cool stuff in her career. She's led tons of studies and research at the Amen Clinics. And she also was one of the leading researchers for the National Football League when it when they were going around with concussions and figuring out um, uh, concussion impacts on the brain for long-term health. Um, So she recently came out with a book, Biohack Your Brain. So we dive into that a little bit more too. And if you think about it, we always talk about your physical health or even your mental health, but we got to think about your brain and we have to keep our brain healthy for long-term effects. We trying to prevent Alzheimer's or different diseases. And that's what we talk about. She, she tells us how to start our day with a green juice, what needs to be in the green juice, you know, different foods we need to make sure we have in our diet, other things, tricks and exercises we can do for our brain for long-term health. So I love the conversation. I think you will too. If you do, please share it with some friends and family if you think they'll enjoy it as well. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Kristen Willemeyer. Welcome to Live Life in Motion, where the goal is to bring you conversations that give you the power of education so you can use those tools to optimize your life on a personal and professional level to better yourself, your community, and those around you. Dr. Willemeyer, how are you today? I'm doing great, Sam. How are things out in South Carolina? Things are wonderful. The weather is finally starting to turn. And I know you've enjoyed beautiful weather out in LA for quite some time. Um, Yes, unfortunate. I I don't really have seasons that I have to endure like you. Yes, you're spoiled out there with the Los Angeles weather. But hey, trust me, I grew up in New York and then I went to school in Boston. So I, I've lived I've lived the seasons. <laughs> That's right. I spent a I spent a couple of years up in New York and I didn't last very long. I came back down south pretty quick. <laughs> You're a smart man. But to get into what who you are and what you've been about, I cannot wait to talk to you today because it's all about the brain and how important brain health is, which Honestly, people need to pay attention to more, and I think it's kind of neglected for some reason. Um, so, to give people—well, do you think about your do you do you think about your brain health? I I did until recently. Um, 
probably in the last <laughs> couple of years, I've started thinking about it a lot more. Um, but as I run into clients and just friends and family members, I don't think they pay near enough attention to it. Well, you're young. So that's why I wanted to pose the question to you. I mean, are you, I'm going to say mid twenties. I'm 32. Okay. You're 32. And so you're not really thinking about the brain and it looks like you've played sports. I'm guessing. Yes. Played a lot of sports. And that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about is the study Mm -hmm. you did with NFL and trauma related injuries, repeated trauma, head trauma, um, Yes. I, I'd love to dive into that. Did you play football or a collision-based sport? No, I played soccer, but... Okay. Well, there's headers there. That's about to say. There's a lot of headers. So. <laughs> and, you know, I got a few concussions playing soccer. Um, and a few Body players. to body? No, actually, like two. head to ground. Head to ground. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And so when you define concussion, is it... Were you fully knocked out? Did you get up and were disoriented? Did you have days where you had some brain fog and headaches? Like how how did you experience it? So I've had both, I believe. Well, one, I was completely knocked out and lost my memory. Um, I was actually wow. playing down, yeah, I was playing down in Florida and it was really cold. It was during the winter, and me and mm-hmm. a guy were running and our hands and feet got tangled up. And I kind of just, my head bounced off the ground. I kept playing. And then I ended up going to the bench and asking my team. Obviously, I wasn't playing very well because I got taken out of the game. And, <laughs> and, and I was asking my teammates on the bench what the score is. I couldn't, like, my brain kept resetting my memory. And uh, one of the players called over my coach and was like, something wrong with Sam. I don't really remember any of this. I did get to- So what if you- one of your teammates actually helped like did they pull you out of the game or you voluntarily got out of the game and then you so started uh, talking to your teammates and they realized that you weren't really uh you know oriented to time and space so that so I didn't voluntarily pull myself out but I don't remember the fall and I don't remember like playing directly afterwards my thought is mm-hmm. I started playing really bad and my coach pulled me out of the game. He didn't know anything was yeah. wrong with me. So I come right. out of the game. And as I'm sitting on the bench, I just kept repeat, asking repeated, repetitive questions to my teammates. Yeah. And that's when they're like, mm-hmm. coach, something's wrong with Sam. And then, of course, he came over. And I think my eyes were watering. And they could just tell something was wrong. And then they took me to the hospital. So Good. And what happened when you went to the hospital? Did they do a CT or did they just do a basic... Neurological evaluation. I can't remember exactly. The first memory I have afterwards was halfway to the hospital. Actually, a friend's dad of mine, or yeah, a friend's parents were taking me to the hospital. My parents weren't there that day. So I'm not sure. They released me later that night. And I mean, this was probably 25 years ago or so. Yeah. No, not 25. Sorry. 18 years ago. So when you came home, did you end up having post-concussion syndrome? So for the next few days, were you sensitive to light sounds? Were you sleeping all the time? Did you have trouble with work or school? I had really bad headaches. So I think I was around Mm -hmm. 15 years old when this happened. Mm -hmm. So I was relatively young. 
Um, really bad headaches, definitely sensitive to light. I remember going back to the hotel that evening and just like light was almost like looking into the sun. It was very sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. And then you eventually over the next several weeks, everything stabilized and you were back to normal. Yeah, I think so. You know, it probably should have been, uh, looked at further and I probably should have mm-hmm. had like more care over the coming days and weeks. But honestly, I didn't know. I don't think the people or my parents or the parents I was with during that time knew. And I kind of just got released from yeah. the hospital. And they're like, you'll be better in a few days and just went about my business. <laughs> Trust me, I, I get it. I used to show horses competitively. I was a hunter jumper. So I, you know, from age seven to 17, was showing and falling off horses. So I've told people I've fallen off hundreds of times, not 10 times, not 15, like hundreds. So having worked with professional athletes, I, you know, I really understand, you know, taking head impacts um, and nobody ever looked at my brain. I've I've had some pretty serious accidents and uh, I was in the show ring and my horse slipped. I flipped over him and he ended up, scrambling over me. He stepped on my chest and my ribs punctured my lungs. So I had to go to the hospital. I had something called hemonumothorax, uh, but my head also hit the ground. <laughs> and, you know, because the lung was the primary injury, nobody's thinking about sure. how she had a concussion, what's going on with her memory. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of empathy and compassion for everybody who's playing sports and for you, you know, this is what you said 15 or 18 years ago, we know so much more uh, about concussions and we're talking about it more, you know, not just in football, but now in soccer. Um, and especially with soccer, and I can ask you this question, do you think there needs to be concussion protocols in soccer? Do you like, you know, I know there's rules now that say no headers for kids. I believe it's, is it under the age of 13 or 11? I so they're starting to make some rules now. There, within- is, there are rules. In the more competitive levels, I don't know if those rules are there yet. Yeah, um, they're think, not. Yeah, I, I didn't think so. Um, but I have heard rules. I do think there needs to be some sort of concussion protocol with soccer. I've known, I know multiple times if I headed a ball and it was a really cold day or a really mm-hmm. hard ball that, you know, I get, I would get dizzy and I would see stars. And well, the, the G forces of headers, I mean, I, they've done studies on how, you know, the impact of that to the head. And I think it can get up to, you know, 35, 40 Gs. I think those hit depending on how hard the ball is hit and how far, you know, I don't know. I've never played soccer. I haven't taken one to the head. So <laughs> I've taken enough. I've taken enough, but, you know, head to ground like you, but I had a riding helmet on, thankfully. Um but even that, as we know, helmets, you know, just prevent skull fractures. They do not prevent concussions. That's right. brain, you know, the brain is sitting suspended in cerebrospinal fluid. So any G-force over 10 Gs, you're going to get um, what they call coup contra coup impact. So it's like the brain, you know, is hitting against the skull and it's actually sitting um, over these bony ridges in the skull. So there's some shearing and tearing of the neuron. So in in football, you know, the collisions can be anywhere from 10 G's to, you know, 150 G's. 
you know, it averages about 68 Gs, but for football, it's those repetitive subconcussive impacts that are causing the long-term damage, not just concussion. So for you, having played soccer, you know, could you even estimate how many times you've headed the ball? Probably thousands? Tens of thousands, yes. Tens of thousands. Now, do you have any of your friends, and you're still really young, who are struggling with any kind of cognitive issues? No, no one, no one that I know mm-hmm. off the top of my head. Um, but I have thought about it a lot, and mm-hmm. that kind of brings me into one one question I have for you is about rehabbing your brain. Things we can do to like help some of this repetitive trauma that we've had in our past, and hopefully repair it. Well, here's the good news. The reason why I even wrote the book, Biohack Your Brain, is having worked in a clinical setting. So I was the director of research for the Amen Clinics, Mm -hmm. a large outpatient psychiatric clinic um, that tends to see people with very complex psychiatric disorders. So the people who would come into our clinic tended to have three three psychiatric diagnoses, anxiety, depression, ADD, bipolar issues. And all of those can be concomitant with memory issues, right? So when you have a head impact, you can also have psychiatric comorbidities. Um, And we use different kinds of neuroimaging to take a look at the brain and see what kind of damage is going on in addition to doing psychiatric and cognitive assessments. So just the way our clinical um, setting is we can take a really deep dive and look at what's going on with you, um, you know, across multiple parameters. And so back in 2009, we ran what at the time was one of the largest studies in living professional NFL players, mm-hmm. looking at what happens to the brain, you know, playing uh, professional American football. And typically we had a hundred players in that first study and they had been on an NFL roster for a minimum of three years. So if you think about the length of time they were playing football, that's at least you know a decade or more sure. of head impacts. And what we found, number one, and this is not uh, surprising now in 2021, but we saw a tremendous amount of damage across the brain. We, we sort of call it a diffuse damage, you know, frontal lobes, parietal lobes, temporal lobes, really it's across the brain and really low blood flow. And what ends up happening when you have really low blood flow to the brain, you have less oxygen coming to the cells, less nutrients coming to the cells. It's harder to remove waste. And if we don't change the blood flow to the brain, if we don't sort of help to the cerebral perfusion um, over time, that's going to be where we start to see neuronal loss. That might not happen until your fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth decade of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but in these young athletes or somebody like you, we want to get ahead of the game so that you don't have any issues as you age. So when we're talking about brain rehabilitation, what we ended up doing, so the initial study, we didn't have a rehabilitation component. We were just asking the question, what happens to the brain, you know, if you play professional football and what are the sort of the long-term changes uh, after about the first 10 players, we realized we need to give them some type of rehabilitation protocol. We didn't want to just scan their brain and say, this is what it looks like. You know, here we are a psychiatric clinic. We're, t- we're treating patients. So we wanted to treat our football players. So what we did was do a very practical dietary and lifestyle intervention um, 
option for any of the players who wanted to do that. And what that entailed was myself teaching what we call the brain directed weight loss group. So uh, in our players, you know, we had a hundred players, 48% of them were overweight or obese. And it's just because when you play football, you tend to have more mass on your body than most. Um, so the number one goal was how do I help my players get to a healthier body weight for their height? Because excess weight on the body actually damages um, neurons in the brain. And we, we published that. that. So a bit more. Yeah, obesity is an inflammatory condition in the body. And what we found is we actually had a, a sort of, we called it normative database. So a database that we collected of just very healthy individuals who had healthy brain scans. And we asked the question, um, you know, of the people in our normative database, there were some that were normal weight and then there are those that were overweight or obese. And we just said, what's the difference mm -hmm. in their brain function, we found those who were overweight or obese had um, lower blood flow to the prefrontal cortex, which is the front part of our brain, but it's really the most essential part of our brain because it's involved in higher order cognitive functions, right? Um, learning and memory, attention, reasoning, decision-making, planning, you know, it's the seat of your personality, um, and your frontal lobes right here is where you had the ball, by the way. So here I am talking to a soccer player who's, <laughs> you know, using their frontal lobes uh, as a way to play, you know, when you're playing soccer. Um, but having that excess weight on the body, that inflammatory process, we found damaged the frontal lobes. And then we actually did a subsequent study with our football players, just asking the question, What's the difference in brain images in the players that were normal weight versus those that were overweight or Got obese? It. And again, we found damage to the frontal lobes and the temporal lobes. So again, frontal lobes, uh, higher order cognitive function. And temporal lobes is responsible for your mood and memory. That's why sometimes we see with the athletes who've had all of these head injuries, you see them have a, a trouble regulating their mood. You know, for example, you look at Aaron Hernandez mm -hmm. and what's happened to him. Um, and it's really, it's not their fault because when you start damaging the temporal lobes and sort of shearing and tearing the neurons um, in those regions, that can lead to the temper problems and the anger issues um, that we see with some athletes who, you know, I, I don't think that they want to have to go through that. And I don't think they've ever been given the strategies on how to manage their anger, their temper. And they don't realize that it could be due to or exacerbated by, um, you know, traumatic brain injuries or even those repetitive subconcussive impacts. And that's the, I think that's the key here is people never thought about, you know, these repetitive impacts causing this long-term brain damage, which we now call chronic traumatic encephalopathy. That's CTE. Um, yeah, CTE, which currently you can only diagnose at autopsy, although in the research setting, um, you know, there's many research labs that have been able to show markers of CTE still in the research phase, not something that uh, somebody can go in and have done. Um, but I'm sure at some point in our lifetimes that will be available. Yeah, before autopsy. And you made a great point. Like yeah. It's really not their fault. If they've been, no, their brain has well, I mean, developed yeah, this the, disease. 
it's, it is, it is, you, you know, we call it a neurodegenerative disease or traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. So they're just, it's like little mini um, brain injuries. We call it diffuse axonal injury. So it's when you shear and tear the very delicate neurons in your brain and the connections to the neurons. Now they will work to repair themselves, but the problem is when you're playing a sport like football, um, which is now year round, I don't think they really stop to take a break anymore, right? There's there's your regular season and then there's your off season. So you need to give the brain after an injury, you know, several weeks or months to rehabilitate. So can you imagine you're taking all of these sort of mini subconcussive impacts over time? And if you're in more of the, um, the if you're an offensive lineman, defensive lineman, you're taking you know, every play takes three to four hits and those impacts are multiplied over time, you know, that's when we're seeing the problems. And, you know, we now know people who play professional football are three times more likely to have a degenerative disease than the normal population. So they're more likely to have Alzheimer's, Parkinson's or ALS um, than myself. So, you know, I think that's something we should all you know, think about, especially when you have, you know, you've got 45 million kids that are currently playing organized sports in the United States. So, you know, part of the reason why I wrote this book too, is for parents who have kids that are playing these sports and they want to do as much as they can to protect their uh, child's brain function. Cause you know, sports aren't going to stop. And I love sports. I, I think myself being an equestrian, I think everything that I learned from sport um, my competitive nature uh, has served me well in the field of neuroscience, mm-hmm. you know, which is very competitive and driven. So I love sports. We want kids to be out playing sports, but we want them to do it safely, you know, so that they can live happy, healthy, lives. long lives. Right. Yeah. And take care of, I mean, the brain. Their brain. It's should be the most important thing you're taking care of in your body. Yeah. It, 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 it rules but it rules everything it, we it makes do, right? So much sense, but I feel like it is neglected. Live Life in Motion podcast is brought to you by Engineered Sleep. Engineered Sleep is a mattress manufacturer and they are based out of Greenville, South Carolina. They have been making mattresses for as long as I can remember, and their main goal is to make finding the quality mattress for you as easy as possible. Um, they have a showroom in Greenville, but you can also visit them at their website, engineeredsleep.com. If you go to their website, use code LIVE10 and you will get 10% off. As you guys know, sleep is the number one thing you need to focus on for good health. And it all starts with your mattress. So stop putting it on the back burner. Go get yourself a mattress from Engineered Sleep and start living a better life. And maybe because we don't talk about it. We don't have conversations about it. You're not really taught about it in school. And truth be told, you know, I spent 10 years in a laboratory setting, studying the brain at the level of the single cell. And then I went into a clinical setting, a clinical psychiatric setting where we use brain imaging. And it was the first time I was able to make the assessment of how dietary and lifestyle factors can literally slow down brain aging and, Mm -hmm. you know, slow down cognitive impairment. And 
you know, that's taken me two decades of scientific study. And this is what I do every day. So I don't <laughs> expect everybody to know this stuff, right? You're just learning through the news. You're learning what you read, you know, on Google. Um, people are talking about it more when you hear about more kids committing suicide. Yes. That played football, mm-hmm. you know, that are afraid of CTE. I don't want people to be afraid of CTE. It's more important to be proactive instead of reactive. I pray. Hey, yeah. I stress that you so get much. It. You got to be proactive mm-hmm. and really with preventative care for your brain. Yes. And one of the, I guess, the more well known, sad instances with suicide in the NFL was Junior Seau. Correct. And he was yeah. so beloved and such a joy to be around and teammates, you know, just would brag about him for days. And then he knew something was wrong and he knew something was wrong to the point where he, I think he left a note or he told people like, he did take my brain to get studied because something's wrong. He left a note and so did Dave Duerson. Okay. So I'm from Chicago, Chicago Bears fan. I mean, Dave Duerson left a note and then shot himself, right? And said, please donate my brain. I'll tell you, having worked with, you know, hundreds of professional football players, they know, just like when you played soccer, you had your head injury and the next day, you know, you knew something wasn't right. We know something's not right, but I think people don't know there's help and there's things that we can do to help reverse and slow that process down. And I think if there's any, really important message even coming from this podcast is there's more that you can do than you realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you had asked me the question earlier and I haven't even really addressed it. You know, the things that we can do to help support brain function, at least in the, the professional football players, we kept it really simple. Um, I ran a brain directed weight loss group for my NFL players and I literally taught them how to take care of their brain health, but I did it through, diet. So I pretty much put everybody on a Mediterranean mm-hmm. diet and, and I created a, diet. well, you're smart. <laughs> um, I actually created a meal plan specific for NFL players and guys who don't like to cook. I'm like, here's what <laughs> you need to do. But the Mediterranean plan, the reason why I love it so much is it has an abundance of peer reviewed data that shows not only does it help um, people with cardiovascular issues, but it can slow down cognitive decline. Um, there was a study published in, I believe it was 2015 from Russia University, um, and they looked at close to a thousand people who are on a Mediterranean combination um, DASH diet. So DASH is a low sodium diet. And those individuals were able to slow down cognitive aging by four and a half years if they followed the plan moderately and by seven and a half years if they followed it rigorously. And that is the first... That is, that is so inspirational because that means if you follow the plan and it's very simple, I started to outline it in the book. I mean, in the book, I touch upon, you know, the dietary component of of brain health because Mediterranean diet, once you have three servings of a green leafy vegetable daily, you know, one servings of an orange vegetable, something with beta carotene, one serving of a legume, um, you know, only one serving of dairy. So I teach people, you know, dairy is not great for the body. If we can make it plant-based, that's a better choice. Um, You know, nuts and seeds every day, but that's like 
10 to 12 nuts and seeds. It's not like a whole bag of cashews from the Trader Joe's. So they're actually, there's actually serving sizes and uh, healthy, you know, healthy fats. So fish and fish oils and three servings of a concentrated protein and two servings of a fruit. So it's very prescriptive. And what's great about working with professional athletes is they love that kind of stuff or somebody like you, right? If I say, here's your meal plan, here's what I need you to eat every day. And you're going to check the box like a pilot, you know, <laughs> checklist, right? You're in the cockpit. You're like, okay, I got my three green vegetables. And, well, not only that, but, you know, I've helped thousands of people lose weight on it very easily. I mean, you probably saw in the book, I talk about three people who lost over a hundred pounds yeah. and I'm a neuroscientist. I wasn't planning on teaching anybody how to lose weight. I'm just here to teach you how to take care of your brain. But you know what? If we can slim you down in the process and make it really easy. Um, so that's how easy your dietary choices can be. And Mediterranean keeps the sugars down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I talk a little bit about this in the book as well. You know, sugar is inflammatory in the body. So we want to keep you know, your sugars to about 24 to 36 grams per day. And that's a pretty low, it's actually a very low number. Um, That's the American Heart Association has set those guidelines. So for women, it's try to keep it around 25 grams per day, men, 36 grams per day. And, you know, I had all the players and the patients I've worked with track their uh, sugar consumption. I just have them do it for a week (laughs) as an exercise. And most people are consuming about 90 to 100 grams per day. So, you know, it's almost like I make people more consciously aware of how much sugar is coming in through really processed foods and packaged foods. Mm -hmm. Because if you're eating fruits and vegetables, just natural foods, they're they're low in sugar. Um, And now somebody listening to this is going to say, oh, fruit has a ton of sugar. Yes, bananas, certain fruits have more than others. But you know what? You need those antioxidants from those vegetables to protect the neurons of your brain. So most, pe- most people don't realize that the brain is this highly metabolically active organ. So we say it weighs 2% of the body's weight, but it uses about 20 to 30% of the body's energy. And all of that metabolic activity kicks off and generates free radicals. Um, and free radicals can damage the neuronal membranes. So it can poke holes in the neuronal membranes and damage your DNA. So the way to protect your brain is to have antioxidants, whether it's through foods or supplements. And the easiest way to get antioxidants from foods is just to have your, your three vegetables and your two fruits, mm-hmm. like check it off your list, like your, your checklist. And um, I talk in the book about juicing because I've been doing green juicing for 20 years, but that's a really easy way. You know, if I was working with you and you're like, yeah, I'm not really a big fan. Um, I can have you do one green juice and you could pretty much knock off, you know, three vegetables and a fruit right there. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, if you're adding more vegetables, which will be fiber, because I want people to get about 30 grams of fiber in per day. um, Now you're kind of, you're starting to change the way you eat to help support the needs of your body and brain. Sure. And And, I mean, it makes perfect sense. You said you're a neuroscientist and you didn't, you weren't planning on helping people lose weight, right? But never. No. It makes perfect sense (laughs) 
that what is healthy for your brain also makes you lose weight because it's healthy for your body. Isn't that the coolest? That's why we called it. That's why we call it the brain directed weight loss group. My, uh, my boss at the time, and I wrote, wrote about this in the book. He's like, here I am teaching NFL players how to get fit and healthy. And I remember telling him, I go, they already know how to do this. I'm like, these are the top athletes in the world, right? These are the 0.001 percenters. They, they, they do training tables. They have two a day workouts. Like I said, what do you mean? He's like, Dr. Willemeyer, he said, you know, some of our guys just have too much weight on their body and they do, you know, they always would, they'd come in, they'd say, oh, I'm big bones, right? Oh, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Chris, I'm big bone. So I get the tape measure out. We measure around the waist. I was like, hmm, okay. So we, we did the waist to height ratio for them mm-hmm. because, you know, yeah, you, you know, stepping on a scale, they are going to weigh more than most, um, but they were still overweight and I needed to help slim them down. And it was actually not that hard. They all started losing weight. And uh, my boss at the time said, wow, this is so successful. I want you to teach this in the psychiatric clinic. And that's when, you know, this whole thing really took hold and it became, how do we get people brain fit and healthy? So when you're asking, and I don't, going back to the question, like, how do we reverse brain damage? That's a loaded question. (laughs) Well, because there's a lot there, right? There's the dietary piece that everybody can do. And then there's the nutraceutical piece. So I go into certain supplements that we used um, that we were able to show improve blood flow to the brain using brain imaging. And that's the really cool piece here um, because I know nutraceuticals and nutritional supplements is a whole you know, you and I could probably talk on that topic for hours. Um, I was at the Amen Clinics. I was the director of nutrition and nutraceuticals. So one of my roles was to uh, show the efficacy of supplements in making measurable changes in brain function, whether that was through EEGs, um, measuring the electrical activity of the brain or uh, spec scans, measuring blood flow changes to the brain or quantifiable using uh, cognitive assessments. So, you know, as a scientist, it's really fun to be able to go in and say, yes, this supplement is making a change in your brain or no, the supplement is not making a change in your brain. And what we were able to show with the football players, it was as simple as using dietary changes and a supplement regimen and brain training games. So we actually put everybody, we did neurocognitive assessments and the cognitive Um, training came from how well they performed on those assessments. So the games were really tailored to where their deficits were, you know, deficits in focus or attention or working memory or short-term memory. So it was really those things done consistently over the course of six months. We were able to show uh, through brain imaging that we could change their brain function and literally reverse uh, some of the damage. And we published that in peer reviewed journals. And for me, that was the wake up call. This is back in 2009, 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. I was so inspired by what I saw. And I thought to myself, wow, I wish I knew this when I was in my 20s. I wish somebody taught me that. I didn't really realize or acknowledge how much power we have in our hands. Now, and I talk about this in the book more in the epilogue. We have all kinds of things in the clinical setting that can help improve brain function. We've got uh, technologies called neurofeedback, 
where we can actually help stabilize the electrical patterns in the brain. We've got transcranial magnetic stimulation, which can be helpful for people with resistant depression, which depression goes hand in hand with brain injuries. Um, And in our football population, uh, our guys had three times the amount of depression than we see in the normal population. So, you know, we've got the kind of tools, we've got hyperbaric oxygen chambers, Um, we can do IV therapies plus hyperbaric oxygen therapies. Uh, So we have a lot to work with in a clinical setting. We've got medications if we need them. And I think that's the piece that I want people to understand. You know, you don't have to suffer in silence. You don't, you know, if you're, if you're struggling, no matter what age you're at, whether it's mentally or emotionally, we've got these extraordinary tools available, but you've got more in your hands that you can do on a day-to-day basis. And that's, you know, that's what I wanted to delve into with the book, like sort of empowering people to be able to do this on their own and not have to come into a clinical setting, which can be expensive for some people. And it's not Um, accessible to everybody, which is... It's it's not accessible. Most people in their lifetime will never get their brain scanned. You know, they're going to get their brain scanned to rule out some kind of issue, epilepsy, degenerative disease, you know, looking for a brain tumor, but they're not necessarily going to go get their brain scanned for their brain health. Now they can, Where can you, you absolutely that? can. Um, that's well, we, at the Amen clinics, you know, Amen clinics has eight locations throughout the United States, you know, 3000 patients come into uh, the clinics on a monthly basis. So uh, when I was there, we actually created uh, a very large brain spect imaging database. And when I left in 2016, it had 130,000 brain scans. So I've seen thousands of brain images. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I wrote the book, having seen thousands of images. And one of the number one things we've noted is that a lot of people have very low blood flow in their brain. And so we, you know, part of the goal is how can I, so many, so many ways to, well, number one, exercise is one of the golden keys to reversing and slowing down brain aging. And it makes intuitive sense, right? So you've got 400 miles of blood uh, capillaries in your brain, over 60,000 miles of blood vessels in your body. When you are exercising, moving, you're pumping blood, you know, throughout your body. And what you're doing is you're keeping the vasculature um, nice and what I like to call supple and elastic by doing exercise every single day. Exercise releases nitric oxide, which helps to keep the blood vessels open. Um, when blood vessels are open, you're getting more blood flow throughout your body and brain, but exercise also increases, uh, one of my favorite factors called brain derived neurotropic factor. So we think of that, like, uh, it helps to grow new cells in the brain and new neurons in the brain in a region called the hippocampus, which is critical for learning and memory. So as your hippocampus, um, get smaller with age, you're going to start to struggle with cognitive issues. So we want to make sure, you know, getting your daily exercise, keeping the blood flowing, you know, keeping areas of your brain growing. And that's sort of one of the easiest ways to do it. Is there a certain type of exercise uh you recommend better? 
Well, I think people should be doing a combination of sustained aerobic exercise. Sustained aerobic exercise should be done daily, you know, 30 to 45 minutes. And for some people, because trust me, I've worked with people who are 70 and 80. I mean, I had 90 year olds that would come to my group, my weight loss groups, and I would just make sure they walked every day. I'd have them do the little step tracker and they get their, their 10,000 steps in um, because movement is the key to life. And, you know, speaking of movement, I thought it was really interesting during the pandemic, the World Health Organization was so concerned about people being physically inactive. They actually increased their recommended uh, activity guidelines. So before the pandemic, they wanted people to get about 150 minutes of movement in per week. And movement can be anything, could be gardening, could be, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be in the gym, but it's just, it's about staying you know, moving, um, they now increase it to 150 to 300 minutes. So, you know, when we talk about the factors that cause aging, the primary ones are midlife obesity, right? Excess weight on your body. We talked about the inflammation, um, diabetes, midlife diabetes. So sugar is a disaster, not only for your blood vessels, but for your brain health. So we want to make sure you have healthy blood sugar, midlife hypertension. So these are um, are the root causes for brain dysfunction. Yep. Yep. These are what we call them are modifiable risk factors. So we say that at least a third of all Alzheimer's cases could be prevented if we do the following. So we've got to make sure we're at a healthy weight. We've got to make sure that we treat diabetes. You know, diabetes will lead to uh, brain issues. Midlife hypertension. So you want to make sure your blood pressure is healthy because, you know, poor vasculature, poor uh, regional cerebral blood flow. So we want it. That's why exercise is so essential to brain health. Um, Depression can also lead to, because depression can cause inflammation in the brain and accelerate cognitive decline. So if you're struggling with depression or, you know, an untreated psychiatric disorder, we want to get that handled. Physical inactivity and cognitive inactivity. So both of those will accelerate brain aging. And social isolation, which before the pandemic, I don't think a lot of people really thought about. We think about it in working with older populations, people who retire, who are no longer in the workforce, no longer you know, connecting with friends and relatives and social isolation and depression accelerates uh, cognitive decline. But now we've been through the pandemic and you've seen a lot of people struggling with mental health issues and issues with isolation and loneliness. So um, I think coming out of the pandemic, people are going to be more cognizant about staying connected, um, staying connected with you know, friends, relatives, no matter what age you are, because um, it's a brain, it's, it's literally a risk factor. I mean, we are, we are social beings mm-hmm. and our happiness and our joy and our vitality come through our connection. So that's going to be, an, I think, a newly found appreciation of just, you know, our ability to stay. And it's something we probably took for granted before the pandemic. I think a lot of us take it for granted when you, again, having worked with people who are older, you start to see what happens when people turn 70 or 80 and they just, you know, their kids are off with their families and people are kind of left alone. Mm -hmm. And 
Live Life in Motion is brought to you by CBDMD. I am very pumped to have CBDMD as a partner. They are the most legitimate CBD company out there. All their products are THC free. They're all third-party tested. Really, they're trusted by a lot of the best athletes in the world. I've used CBD for a long time, and their products at CBDMD are simply the best. I love their gummies. Really, there's a lot of uses for CBD. I like to use it for sleep and really any type of recovery. Um, It really can help inflammation. So go to their site, cbdmd.com. Look up some products and use promo code LIVE25 at checkout and you will save 25% off your order. So it's a pretty darn good deal. Go to cbdmd.com, use promo code LIVE25 at checkout and start living healthier. The beautiful thing about the pandemic is now our older population has learned how to use Zoom and people are Zooming into (laughs) nursing homes and they're, they're learning how to use technology, which is really cute, actually, (laughs) you know, um, you know, even my, my relatives, my uncles who are, um, who are in their late sixties and seventies just started using FaceTime. Like, it's just funny to see, you know, older populations are like getting hip to the technology. So, yeah, and you get get to the point where you have to adapt to that. And that's I mean, I I have another job. Oh, where that's I'm, a slow process. It is for, for the older generation. My dad had the flip phone for a really long time. It's like, come on, dad, like you know, we can take it up a notch. But even Zoom meetings, you know, getting people that maybe had an old traditional mindset about meeting with clients or whatever it might be. Um, I've, I've really seen an advantage now to be able to meet with multiple clients on the day because they're yeah. okay with me. You, so you're more efficient with your work sure. life. I think that's one of the, you know, there's some silver linings that have come through the pandemic and there's an efficiency and our ability to connect with people have multiple meetings. You know, I've been doing my book uh, tour all, you know, from my, my couch or my living room <laughs> and I've been able to do more you know, you can just schedule more. You're not running around on planes. And, but I will say I miss, uh, I miss just in-person interaction. There's something about being connected with somebody in the same space. Um, I'm with you. That is really, yeah, it's, yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's so lovely to see you by zoom, but how cool would it be if we were face to face? I think it would it changes the dynamic in a really positive way. That's right. And I felt very lucky and fortunate that I was still able to meet with some clients in person. I do coach a Uh number of clients in person. And I just know like getting out of my house on that regular, you know, two or three times a day or two to three times a week for more social interaction and joking around and laughing and catching up. Yeah. You're smiling. You're like beaming right now. (laughs) As you talk about it, that's the thing. It's like people who I'm sort of an eternal optimist and you might've gotten that through reading the book. I mean, my dad was an optimist. So I'm always, I've just sort of been wired to see the glass, Mm -hmm. you know, half full and talk about the silver linings. Yes, we've been in a pandemic, but what are the things that, that are going to come out of this that we can take with us that are good Um, and being thankful and actually increasing gratitude has been one of them for me just oh my gosh um you start to appreciate the little things so but 
so just the little things in life, but even watching you right now, because I can see you and you talking about connecting with your friends, you're like beaming, you're smiling. Yeah, we miss our friends. I will tell you, I, I just had, a, I talked with Gary Player, who's a kind of an all-time great mm-hmm. golfer. And his biggest point in our conversation was like gratitude and thankfulness for the little things, like having Aww. three meals a day or having two eyes to see, yes. having you know, the ability to sleep in a bed, like all these little things that people don't think about. He, he is a smart man. I will tell you, um, I've traveled the world and I remember going to Africa. I went to Africa with the Annenberg foundation. Um, we were in Tanzania, Ghana, and Ethiopia. And you realize, you know, right away, I realized how little they had and how wealthy we are. Mm -hmm. And it just, I mean, they didn't have antibiotics, they didn't have microscopes in their medical centers. And I'm here, I'm over at UCLA. And when, you know, we have a microscope, we want to give away, we literally just stick it out in the hall and say, hey, take this. And I'm like, wait a minute, what is going on here? So that's the one beautiful thing I love about travels. You get to see the world and then you come home and go, wow, we are so blessed. And I feel like the pandemic now has made people feel blessed about so many of the little things that really make life so rewarding. It really does. And, and the little things are are just like you said, the, remember when we were all running to the grocery store to stock up, like I, I did it myself because we didn't think we'd have toilet paper or water. Yes. I was like a lunatic. I was like a lunatic. I'd never seen so much food in our house in my life, but it was this fear that we wouldn't have enough and everything did stabilize and normalize. And then I made friends with Instacart and I haven't, I literally have not finished. I've literally not been in a grocery store for an entire year. I still Instacart. And my husband is like, see, isn't that more efficient? It's like a more efficient use of my time. I didn't have to go (laughs) to the grocery store. I digress. I digress, but uh, (laughs) <laughs> okay. I had a, I want to pivot here a little bit. And we've talked yes, about things we can do to help our brain health in a lot of different categories. What are things we need to stay away from? What are some things that we need to make sure we aren't doing? <laughs> <laughs> can I be like saturated fats, trans fats, MSG, not too much alcohol, you know, or maybe the, the American caffeine down. Like the uh, kind of an American diet. A lot of people, I don't want to say the American it is, diet. But. It's the standard American diet. Well, I will tell you the number one thing people want to do is lose weight. And it's sort of this book could have been a full weight loss book because I've helped thousands of people lose weight. And it was, it's so easy. I mean, I've even, people would come into my groups. Um, I would start to teach the group for 10 to 12 weeks and the group would go for like 48 weeks. I, I just kept going. I'd be like, do you guys want to come back for another week? And uh, and I was able to help women who were 60 years old, who never thought they could lose 10 pounds in a year, lose 45 pounds easily. I'm talking easily. It just falls right off the body. And, you know, there were just simple principles and it's, it's sort of, Part of the foundation of the book, I talk about, you know, the Mediterranean diet. Um, I got everybody drinking the right amount of water and you probably hydrate well as a man. Um, men are t- tend to be a little, men tend to be a little bit better, but uh, there's an underappreciation of hydration 
and how essential it is for brain function. Even a one to 2% drop in hydration can lead to brain fog or having trouble concentrating. So I would get everybody on the Mediterranean diet. Everybody would be drinking the appropriate amount of water What's for their body. suggestion for water intake on a day? So, so sort of one of the standard formulas we would use is drink half your body's weight in ounces of okay. water. So if you're a 200 pound man, you want to get a hundred ounces in um, throughout the day. The Institute of Medicine has these sort of standard guidelines for people. So for women, they say, try to get in about 90 ounces of water per day for men, 125 ounces. And I I'm telling you, people are woefully deficient in that number. Cause I make people try, I make people accountable like you. I, I track people over time. That's what scientists do. That's how I know if you're, if you're <laughs> following my recommendation or not, I make you keep a food journal. So if you're not losing weight, if I'm working with you, you're not losing weight. I see your journal and I usually know exactly the culprit in there. And I know what to swap. Um, that's the key to weight loss. And the key to weight loss is also making it fun. So I just make the swaps really easy. And I see where, you know, a little too much sugar is coming in, or maybe they're eating a little too late in the day. So a lot of times I'll try to have people stop, have their last meal three hours before bed with the football players. You know what I did? You'll appreciate this. So my football players were averaging about four to 5,000 calories a day. That was just their average. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> so it's crazy. That's actually way too much. Unless you are playing, if you're currently playing, that's a completely different story. And, you know, we can create a, a meal plan for you based on that. So I would sort of create plans based on how much weight somebody wanted to lose. Right. And it was just so There's just these simple formulas that you can use for people. It's like, okay, well, let me get your sugars to here. Let me make sure you're getting your water. And I, a lot of times I had people do green juicing, even my football players, by the way, I just, I made it fun. I made the juices taste good. I said, Hey guys, if I've been doing this for 20 years, you know, let's see if I can sneak one of these into your plan. Um, and for the players, what I'd have them do is because they were so used to eating big meals. Um, I like people to have about 500 calories per meal. You kind of try to keep it around five, 600 calories because your body can easily digest that and it won't really store that as excess fat. You know, if you're going to go and have, if you're going to have a 2000 calorie burrito, cause I know burritos are, they can run 2000 calories and you've eaten your whole calorie content for the day in one <laughs> sitting. So what I would say is if you want that burrito, I'd say cut it in half. So at noon, you're going to have half of it. And then I told them an hour and a half later, you can have the other half. So I, I kind of created these really fun ways to not completely throw their dietary habits off kilter. And sometimes they just wouldn't have the second meal or I'd say, make your dinner, have your first, you know, have, have it at seven. Um, and if you, you know, have the smaller portion and if you need to have something an hour and a half later, you can have that little portion an hour and a half later. So I found these really just <laughs> clever ways to get to, help them bring down, you know, the 4,000 calories a day to 3,000, 2,500, and then the weight would just fall off. Yeah. And I think 2,500 is kind of the perfect number. It's, it's good. I had most of my guys around 2,000, usually 2,500, depending on if they were still really active. Yeah, and, If you're super active, um, burning a lot of calories. 
Well, somebody like you, you're already lean and fit and, you know, you're not going to be overweight. So a lot of times I'm correcting, you know, I'm working with somebody's 350 pound, 350 pound lineman. That they're I not playing to. anymore. Maybe they're not playing anymore. We, you know, I've worked with people who are playing, but the ones who, yeah, who really needed to get back into their uh, fighting weight for their brain. (laughs) (laughs) You talked, you touched on this earlier and you, you called it games with the players and and individuals. What are some, what's Uh the brain exercise? What are things we can do like games to help? Yeah. You know, it's funny, you know, there's a lot of studies out there that say, you know, brain training games don't really do anything to help support your memory. And, you know, my response to that, at least what we've seen in the clinical setting is the games that are really targeted to your deficits can clearly support your brain function. So I talked in the book, I've got brain HQ that's on my phone. You know, some people do Lumosity. I've got you know, older patients that have mild cognitive impairment, dementia, they love playing those games. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll do their 10 to 30 minutes on Lumosity or Brain HQ. And, you know, what's great about those is they'll track your progress and you can make the levels go up. But for people who don't really want to do brain training games, that's fine. You don't have to. There's so many ways to learn. Um, I love people reading books. You know, they. I think the statistic is, five percent of the people read 95 percent of the books that are that is. out in the world and the re- here's the reason why I love books um, not just you know improving your intellectual capacity and learning about the world and improving social relationships because we learn more about the world when we read the brain forms, Um, these cognitive maps when you read, like we're always learning and upgrading our language and our vocabulary through our reading. Um, That's why when little kids are learning, they learn how to form language through reading books. So why do we stop that when we, you know, turn 21 and we're no longer in college? Uh, So I, I do think you know, reading is a really smart strategy, no matter what, and read something you love, you know, whether it's fiction or nonfiction or a self-help book or a uh, murder mystery, you know, Stephen King book or Harry Potter, it's, you know, do, do 30 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes daily. It's actually going to help your brain. Is one of the, you you said it, but it's kind of the key thing to learn, to continue to learn. The, the key thing is to continue to learn and, you know, to keep your memory sharp. I, I love this. And I've talked about another podcast, but I just think it's so cool. Um, Betty White, the actress who just turned 99. Um, I read in an article, uh, one thing that she said is in turning 99, she wanted to thank her agent because she's still booking jobs and getting scripts. Now, this woman in 99 is still memorizing. She's still memorizing scripts and performing. And she's cognitively sharp at 99. Uh, And the other thing she said that's helped her with her aging is having a sense of optimism and not sweating the small stuff. So she doesn't look backwards. She's like, I just, you know, keep thinking forward and getting excited about one of the biggest. So, yeah. So, you know, when thinking about brain training and learning, it doesn't have to be hard. You know, we can make it fun. One of the things I mentioned in the book, and it's something I do every day, is I've got the Merriam-Webster dictionary app. So every single day I learn a new word. Um, and I'm telling you, I'm a smart person and that dictionary app is still stretching my vocabulary. And then I write it with my non-dominant hand. So I actually practice, you know, we talk about this 
Um, you know, in neuroscience, we always know like, you know, work, work both sides of your body. So most of us, 95% of us are right-handed. Uh, so do things with your non-dominant hand. The more that I write with my non-dominant hand, then I start to drink my water with my non-dominant hand and text. So you find that it just, it's just working connections on both sides of the brain. That doesn't necessarily mean, oh, that's slowing cognitive, um, decline, but what it'll do is strengthen neural networks in the brain. And by strengthening these networks, uh, it will support your long-term cognitive health. So learn a new word, right? Pick up books. Um, yes, you can do the puzzles, the Sudoku's, the, you know, jigsaw puzzles. I talk about one of my uh, clients in the book who really got into, she calls it puzzling, but she'd get these 500 piece puzzles. And then she got to a thousand pieces. Then she got to 5,000 pieces. And when she does the puzzles, which are like a mental game for her, um, it's like it puts her brain in that meditative state and she gets super creative and she gets insights and ideas that helped her to run her business. So sometimes these brain training activities get us out of our analytical thinking mind and allow the space for us to tap into our creative mind where that's the wellspring of genius. That's so true. Um, Gets you out of yeah. your normal routine of thinking. Then all of a sudden new ideas start flowing. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's part of the reason why meditation is so helpful for people. It's not, you know, meditation doesn't just grow brain volume. So for those who don't know that, it actually does. If you practice, if you do a meditative practice, um, 30 minutes a day over the course of eight weeks, Harvard did a study that showed it increased brain volume in the hippocampus, the area of the brain important in learning and memory, as well as uh, some areas of the cerebellum. And I think there was even an area in the frontal lobe. So not only does it help your brain volume, but what it does is it gets you into what we call more of an alpha brainwave state, which is a relaxed state of mind, that's when you're able to learn more, number one, but you're more sort of tapped into your creative mind. Um, so meditation can be that place where your genius ideas just drop in. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's where you got the idea to do your podcast. I don't know. I, I don't know if you meditate or not. But I do. Um, I try to be mindful 10 to 20 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And I'll do That's it, good. Which I think is what people getting on this subject for a second you can do it almost anytime if you're sitting yes. at your desk at work or you're even you know you can do breath work if you're driving to work and you're just breathing out of your nose or you know you're whatever you're doing you can you can yeah you can just breathe in I, I like that see that's living a more conscious lifestyle so now you're thinking about what you're doing in your conscious moments when you're driving you can take the deeper breaths mm-hmm. and relax into that more meditative space you can you can get into that alpha state like you said just by the breath work you can get into it by closing your eyes so most people don't realize when you meditate part of the reason why you close your eyes is it shifts your brainwave patterns and I, I know this because I do EEGs on people's brains. So I've studied people, you know, while they're meditating and uh, I do what we call eyes open EEGs and eyes closed uh-huh. and the brainwave, <clears throat> brainwave patterns totally change when your eyes are closed. So that's why when you meditate, it's like you sit quietly, you close your eyes, you quiet the mind, you go into the body. So you try to get out of the analytical thinking mind and go into the feeling heart. And, and if you can't do that, you just, feel the sensations of your body, right? How you're sitting in the chair, your back against 
the chair. It's sort of getting into your tuning into your body and using other senses. Um, and that's where the real, um, you want to say it, the genius starts to come in. It's the quieting of the mind and the connecting more to the body. And then you can really think it allows you to like be more aware of what's going through your mind as well. Right. Well, that that's true. So you can be more aware of your thoughts and what thoughts are serving you and what thoughts are not serving you and even to, to turn them around <laughs> and mindset, yes. which at all athletes know, right? Anybody who's an athlete knows your mindset, your self-talk, your self-talk and your inner critic um, are really important. And people who are successful professional athletes know this, you know, they need to be super mindful about how they're thinking. Right. And, and they're very goal oriented. So that's, you know, when, when sport ends and you're, you know, living your life, you still want to be that way. Be very mindful of how you're talking to yourself. And I got to ask, cause you brought it up a few times. What's in your green mm -hmm. juice? Oh, yay. Like yeah, I love so my people green juice. know what, what they can wake up tomorrow morning and make a green juice like and, Dr. Will and fired up. So um, I've got two different versions. Like the, the one that I'm doing now is always celery. So I'll do a whole thing of celery, like a whole whatever, eight stalks. Okay. Um, the dinosaur kale, you know, I'll do a, sort of a bunch of leaves of the dinosaur kale. And I love the Bosque pear. So I make it really simple. It's just those three things, three 16 ounces, three ingredients, super simple. And if you want to make it fancy, I also used to throw a cucumber in it or spinach or parsley. So my, you know, more thorough green juice would be <laughs> the spinach, parsley. And you just think of it, it's like spinach, parsley, cucumber, uh, kale. And then I've always thrown some fruit in it. You know, at one point I would do a green apple, but I've now become really partial to the pears. Uh, probably because we got the Harry and David, you know, they have those <laughs> where they send you the fruit of the month. And I, I was like, oh, I really like the pears. Um, I like that little bit of sugar in it. For me, it makes it really tasty. And that's how, you know, a lot of uh, the clients and patients that I work with have loved it as well. If you, you do not need to put, you know, a piece of fruit in there, if you want to just do it straight up green, <laughs> you know, I, I, I probably recommend that, but I, I'm partial to the fruit. And is that, and you do that to get a lot of your vitamins and nutrients that you need from the greens. I do it every single day, you know, without fail. I always start my morning with at least an eight ounce, uh, glass of fresh water. Sometimes I throw, uh, squeeze lemon in it because mm -hmm. we have lemon trees at our place in Palm Springs. I That's really lemon easy. Trees. <laughs> It's a, oh, oh my God, they're the best. We get the lemon trees, the orange trees. So it's when you, when you're growing them yourself and it's from your own backyard, there's something really special about that. So I always do the water first because, you know, eight hours of sleep, your body's super dehydrated. Mm -hmm. So you do that. And then uh, the green juice, 16 ounces of the green juice. So right there, you've got 32 ounces done, right? You've checked that box. That's the good start. So for people who love coffee, I would say if you can start with the water and a green juice and then have your coffee, mm -hmm. now you're not dehydrated. You've supported your body with the minerals. Um, That's such an easy you know, point people need to understand. Yeah. Water before coffee, green juice before yes. coffee. 
Do, do you think you could do that? Like, I think that's, that's a good, um, that's what I do. It's a good way to, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I talk about coffee and, and, uh, you know, I mentioned in the book, in the clinical setting, if we're doing brain imaging on you, we don't want you to have any caffeine before you come in. So no monster drinks or Red Bulls or, you know, your sodas. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell a lot of men, yeah, um, or, or coffees that are, or even herbal sodas teas that have caffeine. Sodas are so bad for you too. Yeah, well, that, the sugar content right there, you've just blown your day with one, one soda, you know, it's got like 17 grams of sugar. It's, you know, way too much sugar. Or no, it's, that's, it's more grams oh, it's of sugar. Like 30 grams. It's, it's more sugar. I can't remember. I think it's like 17 cute, you know, that they have the little mm-hmm. sugar cubes. I can't remember the stat, but yeah, you've blown it with your, your soda, <laughs> but that's okay. I always tell, tell people, you know, you start again tomorrow. Um, that's that optimistic the mindset right there. Always. Yeah. You never beat yourself up. Don't feel guilty. Enjoy. If you're going to do it, just enjoy it. And we'll start again tomorrow. Um, hold on. But there was a point. Oh, it was the coffee. I was just trying to say, sure. if you're coming in to get a scan, the caffeine constricts blood vessels. Um, and so if we're doing brain imaging and we're looking at blood flow to the brain, we don't want your blood vessels constricted. So if you think about it, every time you're caffeinating, you know, you're getting that vasoconstriction. Yes, you're getting the cortisol boost, you know, from your adrenals. And yes, you can focus. Trust me, you know, caffeine definitely helps with focus and concentration. So I, I appreciate everybody who wakes up and needs their cup of coffee. And I, I might just say, hey, what if you woke up and that green juice and the water gave you the energy you needed? And then your coffee was just your decadent treat and have your one cup. That's 300 milligrams. It's totally fine. Um, have it before 3 PM. And usually we tell people don't have anything caffeinated after three because it's got a six to eight hour half-life. So it yep. could interfere with your ability to get sleep and given, you know, if you struggle with anxiety or depression and have, you know, insomnia or sleep issues, if I'm helping you to correct that, then we're going to have to limit caffeine to before three o'clock. So, and I know sometimes these are just little things people don't know or they don't think about. And it's only because I've seen it in the the clinical setting time and time again, where you just, you want to share the pearls of wisdom that we've learned. So it helps you in some meaningful way in your life. Exactly. And you know, that's a really important note is these are all practical things we can all do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I was talking with one of my best friends. I've known him forever. And I was telling him how he needs to get water before coffee in the morning. And it was like the first time (gasps) he had heard it. And I was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. come on, man. You got it. What are you doing? (laughs) I love that. So that's, you teach that to your clients? Of course. If they need to have water, I Mm -hmm. usually say 12 ounces warm, like uh, room temperature, get some lemon in there. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I also Mm -hmm. taught which is another question I wanted to ask you some more supplements, but I take athletic greens. It has mm-hmm. a lot of supplements or the nutrient nutrient value of what you need in a daily basis. But what are some other, well, do you do, do you do the, do you do the green juice as well? I don't. So I'm actually going to look it up to see what's in what I take. Here. So you're, so here's what I think with the greens, cause I've definitely, you know, support people doing the green powders. I think that's fantastic. I love, um, 
the enzymes that you get from living foods. Mm, so there's something, you no, know, it's, it's why I tell people, so do your green powders, right? I talk about spirulina, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of the things that I love, um, but do a fresh green juice every day because you're getting, you know, you're getting the enzymes and minerals that aren't being um, processed or packaged you know, it's, it's from the live living uh, fruits. That makes a lot of sense. I'm going to start and, doing and, green juice. Uh, yeah. So this is why I really like people doing fresh green juices as well as doing their powders. I, I feel like you're going to get something, you know, enzymes are like the spark plugs of life. They're really what keep your cells functioning efficiently. And you can, those enzymes can be used um, to help digest food as well. So you know, as people age, sometimes their digestive systems aren't working, mm -hmm. you know, as well as we'd hope and people start taking digestive enzymes capsules. Well, I feel like the more fresh greens and um, fruits and vegetables you can get that helps to your body to sort of naturally digest. And you can get that too through um, pineapple and mango. I mean, there's certain fruits that you well, in your green juice, then you can do the celery, um, the kale and throw a little pineapple in. And now, voila, that can be your fruit. You know, I've been working in that space. So people want to optimize everything, their brain, their time, their nutrients, their workouts. Yeah. Um, it makes you sort of more aware of how you're spending all of your minutes of the day. And that's just about being conscious and consciously aware, um, and even that, even just being more consciously aware, it can, I think, shift the whole trajectory of your life. So true. And Dr. Willemeyer, thank you so much again. This has been uh, an incredible conversation. Yes, this was so fun. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you for reading the book. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for all of your support. <laughs> uh, I'm truly grateful. This has been a lot of fun and we should definitely stay in touch. We should. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, click subscribe on your listening platform for upcoming conversations.